modern attempts to try to erase the infinite justice of God and the coming judgment of God for every person is an attempt to make God a little more likable, a little more tolerant. And what people who try to erase the judgment of God don't understand is that you cannot fully appreciate the love and the mercy and the grace of God unless you understand that it is in contrast to His infinite judgment, His infinite justice, His infinite holiness. Without the holiness of God, the love of God has no meaning. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Over the past few weeks here on Resonate, we've been in a series called Be Bold. We've heard from Pastor Trent on topics like creation versus evolution, the sanctity of life, and the definition of marriage. In each of these controversial issues, we've been challenged to be bold as believers and to think and act biblically as we engage with the culture around us. If you'd like to listen to any of the past programs, just visit harvestgranger.org and search for Be Bold. Today, Pastor Trent continues in the Be Bold series. So let's listen now to part one of the message, Be Bold, about the certainty of judgment. As Pastor Trent answers the question, what happens after I die? Here's Pastor Trent. I invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. If you've been with us the last few weeks, I've actually been asking you to open your Bible to the first page. Now we're close to the last page of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20. And let me say at the outset this morning, this is not a message that you necessarily want to take notes on. How many of you are notorious note takers? You feel like you've been cheated if you miss a blank and you're gonna flunk out of church because there will be an exam. Well, this is not a message that you necessarily want to get all the answers in the blanks. This is a message you wanna lean into and let your heart hear from the Lord. How many of you over the last 24 hours have been a little spooked? Anybody been scared? Anybody get spooked? Well, this morning, I want to set your heart at ease. The Bible says, Jesus actually tells us, that there is nothing to fear but one thing. Every uh, so often, a survey will come out that lets us know what people fear the most. Do you know what the number one fear that people give in surveys? Do you know what it is? It's the fear of public speaking. Do you know what number two on the list is? It's death. That means that most people would rather die than do what I am doing right now, okay? Unless you think the preacher's job was easy. So uh, there's some fear that we have to overcome, but Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do not fear. Do not fear who uh, those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather, Jesus gives us one thing that you should fear. Here it is. Rather fear him. That's a command from Jesus. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in where? In hell. By the way, that is not a reference to Satan. Who is it that can destroy both soul and body 
in hell. That's not Satan. It's God. So there is a healthy fear that we should have of this place called hell. How many of you have ever seen this sculpture before? Have you ever seen that before? That is a sculpture. It's a very famous sculpture called The Thinker. Have you ever wondered what that guy was thinking about? I mean, is he contemplating a football game or, you know, stuff going on in his marriage or his finances? What's he thinking about? That sculpture was introduced to the world in 1904. The sculpture's name was Auguste Rodin. And he created that sculpture to represent a fictional character named Dante that was introduced to the world through a poem called Dante's Inferno. Do you know what the subject of that lengthy poem is? What's going on right now in hell. And so the thinker gives us the posture of every person who should contemplate his destiny, whether or not he will end up in heaven or in hell. And so as we go through this message this morning, rather than writing notes, that's the posture that we should take as we consider the certainty of judgment and the possibility of hell. We're going to answer four questions here this morning. These are the questions. First of all, what happens after I die? Secondly, what is hell? Thirdly, why is there hell? And lastly, and maybe most importantly, who is going to hell? So let's deal with this first question by asking, what happens after I die? Now, before we dive into the scripture to get God's answer to that question, if you were to ask and survey people on the street, you might get a lot of different answers to this question. If you were to ask an atheist, they would tell you basically, there is no heaven, there is no hell, there are no roads that lead anywhere but the grave. And if you are a sincere person, you must be intellectually honest to understand that once you die, that's the end of the road. That's what an atheist would say in answer to that question. If you have a Catholic background, or if you were to ask some of your Catholic friends, what happens after I die? They might bring up the subject of purgatory. Unfortunately, the concept of purgatory is to be found nowhere in the Bible. As a matter of fact, purgatory was an invention of Pope Gregory in the 6th century, almost 500 years after the Bible was completed. The Roman Catholic Church invented this idea of purgatory, kind of a timeout for disobedient children that weren't ready to go out and play with the big boys. They had to kind of pay a little penalty in the corner, and then maybe one day they would be able to graduate and, and, and get into the place called heaven. Conveniently, that was a great campaign tool for building the Catholic Church because um, incentives were given by people that had lost loved ones who feared that their loved ones would be in purgatory, and if you would pay up a little bit to the church, that would accelerate their process to get out of purgatory. That concept's not found anywhere in the Bible. Good building campaign, bad theology. If you were to ask um, a Seventh-day Adventist that question, what happens after I die? They might bring up the subject of soul sleep, the idea that when we die, our bodies and our souls go into the grave, and they lie there dormant until the final resurrection. Just kind of unconscious, checked out, no consciousness until the final resurrection. And that's 
a misinterpretation of some metaphors in Scripture. A lot of times in Scripture, the word sleep is used as a metaphor for those who have died. In the same way that we would use a metaphor, we don't like to talk about death, so we like to use replacement words like a person has passed away or upon their passing or they're asleep. But the Bible tells us, we'll see this in just a minute, that upon death, everyone immediately goes into one of two places. We'll see those two places in just a minute. If you were to ask someone that may have a very broad kind of religious spirituality, not based on the theology of Scripture, a pluralist would say, well, Islam and and Buddhism and Christianity and um, all these different religions, even Eastern mysticism, they're just a lot of roads that all lead to the same place. And as long as you're sincere in your faith, it doesn't really matter what you believe, but that you're sincere that you believe, then eventually you'll make it to the place where God is. If you were to ask... um, a lot of people, they would say, you know what? God eventually works it out for you. God's not a God of judgment and torment and hell. He really wants to live forever with you. And so eventually everybody's going to get on the right road to the right destination. That's called a term that we would use a universalist opinion. And interestingly, that shows up in media type people and it shows up in some very religious type people. Very recently, Pope Francis was quoted as saying this, the Lord has redeemed all of us, emphasis, all of us with the blood of Christ. All of us, three times he wants us to know, all of us are redeemed with the blood of Christ, not just Catholics, everyone. And then he imagines somebody giving him some pushback on that. Father, the atheist. Yes, even the atheist. Everyone. We must meet one another doing good. And he imagines someone saying, but I don't believe, Father, I'm an atheist. But do good. We will meet one another there. Pope needs to read his Bible. Not everybody's going to be there. Rob Bell, Oprah Winfrey have a new friendship, and in Rob Bell's latest book called Love Wins, he suggests this. Given enough time, everyone will turn to God and find themselves in the joy and peace of God's presence. The love of God will melt every hard heart. Even the most depraved sinners will eventually give up their resistance and turn to God. That may be a good prayer to pray for everyone, but that's not the reality of what we find in the Bible. So let's open our Bibles and find out the answer to the question, what happens after I die? Let's begin reading here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And let me just say, first of all, here's what the Bible teaches. Everyone will face God in judgment. Revelation 20, verse 11 says this, Then I saw a great white throne. The Apostle John is writing this. It's a a vision, a revelation that God gave him of what one day would happen. These are things yet to come, but this is a prophecy of what one day will happen. And so John records what he saw. He saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, 
What happens after I die? I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Everybody underline the word books. Is that singular or plural? That's plural, underline the word books. And the books were opened, and then another book was opened, which is called the book of life. Singular or plural? Singular. So we have two sets of books. You can just kind of imagine you're there in the throne room, and you're overwhelmed by the one who is sitting on his throne. And then John saw that somewhere in this throne room, there was a set of books. We don't know how many books. It may have been a library of books. But let what he saw be represented by this set of books. Are you wondering what's in the books? We're going to find out in just a minute. But then John also saw, apart from those books, another book separate from the books, and this particular book was called what? The book of life. And so here we are seeing the judgment of God, and he is going to judge based on what is written in these two sets of books. It says here at the end of verse 12, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, singular or plural, plural, and so he's referring to this set of plural books, what's written in these books, he tells us. It says, according to what they had done. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to, again, what they had done. Modern attempts to try to erase the infinite justice of God and the coming judgment of God for every person is an attempt to make God a little more likable, a little more tolerant. And the idea is if somehow we could make God a little less judgmental, and a little more tolerant, then maybe people would like him more. Maybe people would respond to him better if we just thought of God only and exclusively as a loving God. And what people who try to erase the judgment of God are doing, and what they don't understand, is that you cannot fully appreciate the love and the mercy and the grace of God unless you understand that it is in contrast to his infinite judgment, his infinite justice, his infinite holiness. Without the holiness of God, the love of God has no meaning Un unless you understand God has rescued you by his grace from his judgment, you will not be overwhelmed with the amazing grace of God. So mark it down. You and you and you and me, all of us will face the certainty of the judgment of God. And some people will go to heaven 
The scripture tells us that immediately upon dying, those who believe, those who have repented, those who have trusted Christ, those who have been redeemed by God, immediately upon their death will go into the place where God is. That's the simplest and probably the best definition of heaven. What is heaven? It's the place where God is. Heaven is the place where God is most fully known, without distraction, without temptation, without the limitations of our flesh, we will know God in this place called heaven in a way that we don't fully know him now. But one day, all those who are redeemed will be in his presence. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, the apostle Paul is facing struggles and heartaches and doesn't want to be here anymore. Anybody can identify with that? It's like, man, I just wish I could go to heaven. That's what the apostle Paul was facing in this verse. And he said, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. And so Paul understood that departing from here means that he would be with Christ there. And there's a sense in which only then and only there will we fully know the redemption that is ours in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 8, Paul again says, To be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And so on the day that you die, the body stays here, but your soul goes on living in the presence of God if you are a believer. Isn't that great news? That death is not the end. On the day that you die, you get an upgrade. Some of you are waiting for the latest upgrade of your technology or your smartphone. And the greatest day of your life will be the day of your death because you get an upgrade of actually who you are if you are in Christ. We remember the conversation that Jesus had with the thief on the cross. In Luke chapter 23, verse 43, that thief looked at him and said, Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. Well, what happened on that day? They died, both of them. And on that day, that thief was with Christ after death because he had repented and believed. What great news for those of us that believed this world is not our home. We are living for a better place to be with Christ. Do you know what that means? That means for the believer, this world is the closest thing to hell you will ever experience. Did you have a bad week? Did it feel like you were going through hell? You weren't, but if you're a believer, that's the closest thing to hell you'll ever experience. But do you also know what that means for the unbeliever? For those of you that don't trust Christ, that don't believe, that don't surrender, that means that this world is the closest thing to heaven you will ever experience. Did you have a good week last week? I hope you enjoyed that. Because that's the closest thing that you will ever experience to heaven unless you believe. So some people will go to heaven, and here's what the Bible teaches, what happens after I die. Some will go to hell. Did you know that for every person who believes that upon death they're going to hell, 
120 people believe they're going to heaven? Yeah, ask the average person, are you going to heaven or hell? What do they say? Well, I hope I'm going to heaven. I'm trusting that maybe somehow I might slip in the back door. Uh, My mom was a really good person. I'm just going to kind of shadow my way through the line and get into the place. I I want to go to heaven, but do you know? Rarely do you meet a person that believes they're going to hell. Actually, I met one a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, we took our entire church staff for a a fun day in Chicago. We had some teaching time and some ministry time, and then we had some fun time. And then we found ourselves at the end of the day in downtown Chicago, and we went to a a local restaurant there called Pisano's. And as we were in a back room getting our pizza ordered, we were having a great time. The owner of the restaurant came back in and he engaged us in conversation, a really jovial Italian guy, and he was mixing it up with us, having a lot of fun. And in the conversation, he mentioned that he was a skydiver. He loved to jump out of airplanes. And he had done it over 4,000 times. And so as he was telling this story and joking with us and having a good time, I just looked at him and I said, hey, have you ever had a buddy that jumped out of an airplane, pulled the chute, and the chute didn't open? And have you ever known someone that died in a skydiving accident? I have a great way of running a party, by the way, if you want to invite me over to your house. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, I, I, I have. And I said, well, the next time you jump out of an airplane, let's just suppose that you pull the cord and the chute doesn't open. Where would you go? And he said in a laughing, jovial voice, I'd go straight to hell. And he seemed like he was excited about it. And he didn't know that he was talking to people that had given their lives to actually rescuing people from hell. And I looked at him and I said, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. And he said, don't be sad. All my buddies are there too. And we're just going to have a blast. And we all just kind of groaned around the table. And I looked at him and I said, listen, I've found that a lot of people like to joke about this because it's such a serious subject. Do you know how to get to heaven? And you know what he did? He said, oh yeah, Jesus died on a cross and and if you trust him, you'll get there. And I looked at him and I said, well, have you repented of sin? And have you placed your faith in Christ? And he said, I'm Catholic. And when he realized that we weren't Catholic and when he realized we weren't laughing, he found a quick way to exit the room. Hell is not a joking matter. It is something that you and I must contemplate. Are you absolutely 100% for sure that if you died in the very next breath, that you would escape the judgment of God in this place called hell? It's not a place to laugh at. Maybe you don't even really know what hell is and that's why you're laughing. What is hell? The theologian Charles Hodge lived in the 19th century and he said this in considering this doctrine, it is a doctrine which the heart revolts from and struggles against. The doctrine of hell is a doctrine to which the heart submits only under the stress of authority. We want to laugh about it. We want to make jokes about it. We create holidays to make light of the judgment of God. 
And only under the weight of the authority of God's word and the conviction of God's spirit will our heart even be willing to grapple with the seriousness of hell. He says the church believes the doctrine of hell because it must believe it or renounce faith in the Bible and thereby give up all the hopes founded upon its promises. What is hell? We see it here in this verse. Look in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. It says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And so first of all, hell is the second death. Do you understand that we are all going to die at least once. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, it's appointed to man once to die. Some of you don't even want to consider that you are mortal. We create stories about immortality because we don't want to face the reality. There is a termination date. There is an expiration date on you. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment then it will be determined whether you die a second time. And hell is the second death. Hell is the eternal death for all those who refuse to repent and believe. So what dies the second time? Let me tell you what dies the second time. Your opportunity dies. Your hope of heaven dies forever. The teaching of Scripture is simply this. If you are born once, you will die twice. But the good news of Scripture is this. If you are born twice, you will only die once. You are born naturally into this world as a little bitty baby, and then throughout the course of your lifetime, you have an opportunity to be born again spiritually. And if you are born again spiritually, you will only die once and not have to face the second death. Have you been born again? If you have not been born twice, you will die twice because hell is the second death. Hell is a place of fire. Again, look at it in verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. It's a rather simple way to think about a profound truth. In John chapter 3, a man named Nicodemus struggles to understand this concept of being born twice. Jesus explains to him that unless a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Moments later, he tells Nicodemus how to be born of the Spirit in the most commonly quoted Bible verse of all, John 3.16. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. By believing on the Lord Jesus, you can be born again. 
If you've never made that decision in your life, we hope that today will be the day that you repent and believe in Jesus. Well, we want to thank you for joining us today on Resonate and hope that you'll return next week to hear the conclusion of this message. We'd also like to invite you to join us at Harvest Granger for one of our weekend worship services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. And as a reminder, this week we launch our extension campus in St. Joseph, Michigan. We're excited to meet some of our Berrien County listeners there. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.